come here to to our understand our, our gaining of our understanding of this letter, this this insight that the apostle Paul gives to his disciple, the pastor Timothy, uh, in First Timothy three, and we come to this place where where he is talking to Timothy about qualities for leaders and and what should be looked for in men that are being considered for for leadership. And we're harking back to the whole goal of everything that we're to be doing as a body, just as Paul reminded Timothy in verse 5 of chapter 1, as you see there on the slide, that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That everything that God does through his church and in his church. The goal of that is a greater love for God and a greater love for one another from the inside out. And even here as we talk about outward qualities that should be growing in men that are considered for leadership or should be growing in each one of us to be reminded that these happen from God changing us from the inside out. So what kind of leader do you think people follow? An influencer, uh, one who commands respect, one who's well-connected or well-liked. You think about in our political realm, in in, uh, leaders of our country, as people are considering political candidates, they might think of, well, they come from this state or they come from this region, and that comes with a lot of, of election possibilities. People might follow them. People might be interested in what they're about and things like that. But what about a leader in the church? What kind of leader do you think people follow or should follow? When it comes to leaders in the body of Christ, there's a lot of competing ideas about what makes a great one. This was true for the church in Ephesus as well. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says this about future elders, overseers, as he calls them, shepherds as we call them. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. You might remember that the that uh, the men in the church in Ephesus, there were many there who had, who had elevated themselves as teachers, as influencers, leading people away into fruitless discussion. We would, might call them in our day and age spiritual. They were spiritual men. They were spiritually minded. They had spiritual conversations. But, but their teaching was going nowhere. Promoting their own opinions. They led others into what they thought were deeper, more detailed knowledge of God. But Peter Colo says the world is changed not by the I'm sorry, the world is changed by your example, not by your opinion. And I agree with that. 
what we call elders here at Harvest, and I always have to explain this a little bit as we move into this, um, we call these overseers, as they're called here, we call them shepherds. An overseer, when it's used in scripture, describes, is lean, they're all the same office, overseer, elder, is what we call shepherd. An overseer often describes the fact that they're one who are entrusted with a responsibility of protecting the direction and doctrine of a body of believers. An elder often points to, when called an elder, it points to the, the, uh, the maturity that they should hold, being raised up from a local congregation. We, we choose the term shepherd, and, and, and we like when it comes up in Scripture how it describes the function of guiding, correcting, and equipping the saints for ministry to one another and the world around them. At Harvest, we use this term shepherd, as I mentioned, in the hopes that the function of the role is always kept front and center. In the New Testament, the function of a shepherd is emphasized over the term. Um, I'm sorry. In the New Testament, it wasn't necessarily like the term that was as important as the function. And that's what we want. That's what we desire. In Paul's letter to Titus, he termed, we see the terms are interchangeable. He writes in Titus 1 verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he follows up in verse 7 saying, For an overseer, the same person, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. The apostle Peter writes about the, the quality of the shepherd's ministry. Also interchanging the terms where he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow, fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then uh, as you've heard me say, I love verse 4 where it describes Jesus' role to those shepherds and says, When the chief shepherd, speaking of Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Christ is also being, uh, being the good shepherd of the church is a theme of God's word as we see in Hebrews 13 verse 20. It speaks of the Lord Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. And in 1 Peter 2.25 we see both the interchangeable nature of these terms and the fact that Christ is the shepherd. The shepherd's example as we read, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So we choose the term shepherd. I'm not saying that's what other churches should do. We just do. This morning we learn that the shepherds of God's flock are formed from the inside out. They're not born and you look at them and you're like, oh, this is going to be an elder. This is going to be a shepherd. They're shaped just like any other believer from the inside out, God working from within them. And we read, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Why is it good for a man to aspire to be a shepherd? Because he's aspiring to be like Jesus, to serve rather than to be served, to lay down his life in ministry to others, but also... It's good to aspire to this function because this function 
reflects the quality of character that must grow steadily from the inside out. If a person is aspiring to be this, they are aspiring to grow, they are aspiring to develop shepherding character, a quality of character. It's a good thing for man to be on his way to being fit to be a shepherd. But notice, aspiring doesn't mean the man will become a shepherd of God's church. This doesn't say it's good for a man to become a shepherd. It's good for a man to grow into being a shepherd. But let's not limit this just to men in terms of it's good to develop these qualities. It's good to be growing in our relationship with the Lord. It's good to be growing from the inside out. I, I like to look at these in terms of vital signs. All right, what, what are vital signs? You know, if, if um, you go to the doctor, first you, you follow the nurse into this other room and she's going to take your temperature, she's going to take your blood pressure, she's going to take, you know, thankfully height is not a vital sign or else mine's getting worse and worse as most of us that are, you know, middle age or older. But, you know, uh, it's going to take uh, uh, your pulse. See, see what that pulse rate is. Everyone should have good vital signs, right? And those that aspire to, to greater things physically are going to probably develop better vital signs. One of Kelly's cousins is hopeful to be an Olympic marathon. And, so he, and he's doing well with a lot of these qualifying marathons, Boston Marathon and, and things like that. And as he trains for that, as he pushes himself for that, he develops better and better vital signs, right? His body is improving. And in the same way, qualifications for leadership within the church should be vital signs that every follower of Christ is looking to develop and improve in their life. Men or women, men who are going to be shepherds or not be shepherds. This is different from seeing these as unique qualities that mark a super Christian or mark a leader in God's church. Everyone should be pursuing the same healthy, vital signs in their relationship with Christ. And the pursuit of being the type of person who would make a good shepherd is a good thing. Development of these qualities is a good thing. And it's true of whether the person fills the role of shepherd or not. So all of you as harvesters this morning, I want you to... to if you're not a shepherd, if you no, have no interest of being a shepherd at harvest or whatnot, don't check out here. Check your pulse here this morning. Take your temperature here this morning by these qualities that we should all be growing in. A shepherd is not recalled either also to be perfect. First and foremost, what begins a person to grow in these qualities is recognizing that if there's one thing I know, my flesh is full of sin. My flesh, this flesh that I'm born into, qualifies me for one thing, and that's hell. You know what it also qualifies me for? Salvation. Because as we looked at earlier in 1 Timothy, Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I'm so thankful that God brought it to my attention that I qualify for that. And, and recognizing the fact that Christ took my sins and paid for them in his death on the cross. And his resurrection from the dead was evidence of the fact that he didn't just pay for my sins, he conquered my sins. He paid for that penalty and his life was so powerful being very God 
and very man. That he could overcome death and I could take his life. I could take his righteousness on myself. And so when I look at myself, I don't look at myself and think, man, there's something about JD that makes him a good shepherd. No, there's something about Christ that takes a sinner and shapes him from the inside out that maybe other people can learn from him, from Christ within him. You know, um, just it just happens that as we're moving through this section of Scripture, uh, one of our shepherds is going to be rotating off of our shepherd team. Uh, every three years, as men serve on the shepherd team, we challenge them to pray about and seek the Lord. Does God want you to continue uh, on the shepherd team here? And Dan Hopkins is going to be rotating off of our shepherd team here. And, and as we look for people that are potentially, you know, we don't have, we like to at least have five shepherds, um, but it doesn't mean we can't have more than that or anything like that, you know, as the Lord leads. But, but one of the things, we look for someone who has been profoundly affected by God's grace and someone who is walking by the Spirit. I mean, if in Acts 6, when they needed somebody to be uh, organizing the this distribution of food, if those people that they are looking for is that they need to be of good reputation and they need to be filled with the Spirit and with wisdom, we think that men that serve as servants or shepherds at harvest need to follow that qualification as well. We look for men that, that are shepherding well, are shepherding well in their home, are shepherding well in a ministry area that they might be carrying, shepherding well in a small group, if you will. See, when you look for function rather than title, it becomes apparent as people are able to shepherd in smaller areas. Albert Schweitzer said there's three most important ways to lead people. And those three most important ways are by example, by example, and by example. And so that's what should be looked for in the qualifications of someone who might challenge other people to follow the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. That they're following the chief shepherd themselves, growing in these things that grow their relationship with the Lord, that show a growing relationship with the Lord from the inside out. And so aware of this fact that all followers of Christ should grow in these ways, when it comes to a shepherd at harvest, we should look for signs of godly growth. We read in verse 2 and 3, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and not a drunkard, not violent, or, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Right off the bat, there's like one of the most intimidating statements right off the top there, above reproach. Now understand something here. This is kind of pointing to the fact that we should all be growing in these things. This comes up in other places. It's not just talked about shepherds in this way. Later on in the fifth chapter, we'll see that widows even should be above reproach. You can see in 1 Timothy 5, 7, command these things as well so that they, these widows that are described in this passage, may be without reproach. If anyone in the church is above reproach, it should be shepherds. Now, the idea of to be above reproach comes from the verb to take hold of. And it means that if there is a claim or an accusation 
against that person. It can't take hold of them. Now, we had a president uh, some time ago that uh, despite one scandal after another, uh, they just wouldn't stick to him. Uh, he, he had the nickname of Slick Willie or Teflon Bill. And that's not the reason why accusations shouldn't be able to stick to a shepherd because they just kind of squeeze out of it. But that it doesn't fit his character. An accusation shouldn't be able to take hold of a shepherd, not because he's slick. It should be that if someone came to claim something egregious against him, the charge wouldn't stick because it didn't fit his character, as I said. Of course, we're not talking about someone needing to be perfect. We're talking about someone needing to have always been above, we're not, I'm sorry, we're not talking about someone who needs to have always been above reproach. We're talking about someone who is growing. And developing character and has a reputation of having grown and developed character. We're talking about someone who's being changed significantly from the inside out. And if you were to slice through their life, the, what's on the inside would match what's on the outside. That's the definition of integrity. And verse 2 and 3 elaborate on what it looks like for someone to be above reproach. And this is where I'd say they should have good vital signs. That which what we should be looking for. What should be their good vital signs? Describes them as being a husband of one wife. I define this as a one-woman man. Now understand that in a highly sexualized Greco-Roman culture, this vital sign describes his sexuality. We'll talk more about this next week because it'll come up again because a deacon as well, what we call servants at harvest, a deacon as well should follow this same qualification. So we'll have opportunity and a little bit more time to unpack this a little bit more. He should be a one-woman man. He should be sober-minded. This means calm-headed, not inebriated by circumstantial emotions. The emotions of the moment shouldn't take him over. He should be self-controlled, his self in order, not in disorder. He should be respectable, well-balanced, not abrasive. He should be hospitable, given to hospitality, this means. Now understand that in the early church, hospitality was very important for the church to be able to practice because when someone came, when a believer or a missionary or a, or a, a minister came from another city to the city where that church was, there wasn't a place for him to stay. See, the hotels of those days, the boarding houses, were like the saloons of the Old West, right? You got these ladies in these really weird dresses hanging around and stuff. They were houses of prostitution as well as boarding houses. And a follower of Christ would never have put themselves in that situation. So when they came into a town and they, got, and they would show up, it was like, who's going to put me up? And they would be looking for men and their families and their homes that they wouldn't have to be like, okay, wait, uh, kids, behave. You know, don't be like you normally are. We've got somebody staying with us. They should be able to teach. I don't take this to mean that he needs to have a gift of teaching. He needs to be skilled in teaching or that he needs to be... Um, that needs to be his spiritual gift. It doesn't fit with me that among all these character qualities, we see a giftedness stand up there. 
I take this to mean that he needs to be able to handle God's word in a doctrinally sound way. He needs to have a fundamental, clear, and healthy understanding of the gospel. When Paul writes to Titus about the qualifications for leadership, he doesn't use the term able to teach, but he does talk about the man being able to handle God's word, and I believe that kind of gives us definition of what able to teach means. We can read that in Titus 1.9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That, I believe, is the definition of able to teach in 1 Timothy 3. A faithfulness to the truth that allows his teaching to be biblical and beneficial. Billy Graham said once, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And when a shepherd of God's people teaches God's word, there should be a confidence in taking stand on the gospel and the truths of God's word. And we should never have to say of a shepherd, I don't think he should teach. Right? Worried about whether it would be unbiblical or contradictory to the gospel. Thomas J. Watson said, Nothing so conclusively proves a man's ability to lead others as what he does from day to day to lead himself. The first and, for, first and foremost important day-to-day work of any believer is to remind themselves of the gospel, to remind themselves of the fact that I don't stand in my own righteousness before God. There's nothing in me as a person that would make God love me God loves me as his creation. And God gives me, God, I have a relationship with God because of a righteousness that he has given to me in Christ. And that should grow from the inside out in someone who is a leader of God's people. We're also given some red flags. And again, these are vital signs and red flags that we should be looking at all of ourselves for in our lives. But we're given some red flags to watch out for in potential shepherds. What should not be there are these red flags. These do not be a drunkard. This is, this is a really interesting word. I find this word kind of humorous. <clears throat> it's a combination of two words. It's a compound word, beside and the wine. Okay? And it means he should be able to linger by his wine, to sit beside his wine. He's not the kind of person that, like, wine is poured in front of him. He's like, uh, uh, uh. Can I have another? It can sit there. Yep, okay. No power over me. That's the idea. He's not to be a drunkard. Take it or leave it. He's not to be violent but gentle. This means he's to be reasonable. We say, we have the statement, he's a lover, not a fighter. Right? Not to be quarrelsome but avoids fighting. This doesn't necessarily mean he avoids confrontation. But it doesn't kick up his flesh and become a fight. He's not to be a lover of money. This is another interesting compound word. He's not to be fond of silver. In our day and age, I think we need to tweak this a little bit. He's, it doesn't just mean he doesn't love money. He doesn't love the things that money can buy. Right? Because uh, somebody can say, oh, you know what? Money doesn't matter to me. Well, let me see your credit card bill. Can you say no? 
Can you say no to the things that money buys you, even when you don't have the money to buy it? Vital signs are vital. And the fact is, is that it doesn't matter if somebody's blood pressure is great or if their pulse is great, if they've got a 106-degree temperature, they need help. And in the same way, we, it happens too often that we excuse things in each other's lives. And we, and we get accused of nitpicky if we're like, I know you're great in this way, you're great in this way, you're great in this way, but you've got an anger problem. And for a person to be like, yeah, but look at, what if somebody walked in the doctor's office like, yeah, I got a 106-degree temperature, but look at all the other ways I'm great. We should all be checking these as vital signs for any one of us, but especially for those that we consider to be a shepherd of God's people. As Ralph Waldo Emerson said, what you are speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. We should never have to find ourselves saying, do as I say, not as I do. Families should never think of us, you know, becoming an adult means you don't have to obey. Awesome. But it doesn't mean we are always obedient. It doesn't mean we have to never disobey. But when we do, we admit it. We seek forgiveness. We move forward. And our family sees from us what that looks like. Secondly, we see here that we should look for signs of godly impact. First, of godly growth. Second, of godly impact. It says he must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so they may not fall into disgrace, into the sna- a snare of the devil. You know, before a person can serve in the armed forces, they undergo a physical exam, right? What's being checked? They're vital signs. Signs of health that anyone should be good with or improving, right, on. But if somebody wants to serve in the military, they're specifically going to check those things. And a man who's being considered for leadership also needs to go through a sort of checking of those things. And we should be checking ourselves with these things this morning as well. But these, again, these should not be unusual like to a believer. It's like good vitals shouldn't be unusual to any person. But we should, in checking, uh, if you will, that, that entrance exam, if you will, that physical, spiritual physical, if you could call it, looking for godly signs, uh, signs of a godly impact, there should be a godly impact on his family, managing his household well. This verb of managing is really a... Um, It's a good functional word of of healthy leadership. It means to assist, to go before, to represent. Think of a manager of a restaurant or a manager of a hotel. He doesn't treat it like he owns it. He doesn't treat it like it's his possession. He is managing it for someone else who is the owner. And someone who is growing in their relationship with the Lord should be looking at the, the spheres that they are in As I don't own this, 
God does. And it's just been given to me to manage for his glory, for his kingdom. Uh, Think about a dog sled team, right? The idea here of he is to go before to represent the leader's not in the sled, saying mush. The leader's the lead dog running ahead, maybe busting a trail through the snow, maybe maybe uh, um, allowing the uh, the others to to draft in his in the wind that he is cutting through. A man being examined for leadership in the church needs to have led or managed his family well. Just as he treats it as an honor to steward his family for God, he will be a good steward, hopefully, of Christ's bride. And specifically, it says he should be keeping his children submissive. Timothy, or Titus, writing to Titus, Paul talks about he needs to have children who believe. This idea of keeping his children submissive, is it was common for civic leaders of that day to be evaluated by the behavior of their children. Proverbs 19 says, a foolish child is his father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping of a leaky roof. Proverbs 27 says, as a father pleads with his son, be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. When he says keeping his children submissive, this is like a military term, okay, of a, like a general arranging his soldiers in battalions, okay? The important thing here is they're not his soldiers, right? He's stewarding God's children. I can remember... Uh, Hannah, who's uh, here with us this morning, she was at one of the first uh, youth events. It was a lock-in when I was a youth pastor, and and, uh, we were kind of getting things arranged, and some kids were, these boys were kind of messing around in a back room, and I came in the room, and I was like, hey, guys, we're getting setting up in here. You need to come out here, and one of the kids looked at me and goes, no. Hannah, like, her eyes, like, got super wide. This is like, and she looks over at me like, someone told you no. But she wasn't like, oh, here comes the slap. Oh, this kid is going to get it. Because our kids weren't threatened with that. Our kids weren't shaped by fear. But yet taught to be respectful to their dad. No, to authority. Because God is the one who sets up authority. And God is the ultimately one ultimately the one to be respected as we respect authority. If a man is expected to have a godly impact on the church, look for a godly impact on his family. We should also look for a godly impact on his neighbors. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into the disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Hey, I'll tell you something. Especially as a pastor, there, this snare of the devil that he's talking about, this is real. Okay, and it sounds like this. Hey, you know what? My good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. You wonder sometimes why it's like uh, a pastor's like secret life gets uncovered, and it's like, what in the world? How is this going on over here? I'll tell you the thinking. My good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. 
That is such an easy snare for his pastor, for a church leader, for, for a, a father to fall into. But instead, we should be able to look at the, the, the public life, the private public life, and see a, 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 an integrity there. I, I was told that Glenn McFarlane told the elders at Harvest at one time, live in such a way that if someone said something bad about you, people wouldn't believe it. That's how it should be. You know, we have a statement talking about in a man's wake or in a woman's wake, in a person's wake. And it comes from uh, nautical terms. You know, when a boat is moving through the water, it leaves a trail. It leaves a wake, and that wake doesn't just impact exactly where that boat was. It spreads out until it's lapping against the shore, right? And we should be willing to examine our lives and especially willing to examine the lives of someone that's being considered to be a shepherd. And we should be looking in the wake of their life. And what has been the impact? In the wake of the, uh, the impact on their family, the impact on their neighbors. You know, I remember Jeff sharing with me uh, when um, he was uh, an associate pastor at another location some years ago. And he was talking about the pastor that he was working with. He was like, man, I don't know what to do here because this guy has just got such a bad reputation. He's a jerk. And one of the other associate pastors was so grieved because he went into a coffee shop. And, um, and he was talking with the, the uh, girl at the coffee shop. And he was saying, yeah, I'm a pastor at this church. You should come and visit. Sometimes she's like, I would never go to that church. Like, why? He says, because the pastor of that church sits in that booth over there, and I would not want to have anything to do with him. I, I was, um, uh, this, a similar thing was shared with me about um, uh, an uh, experience that one of you had one time when you were talking about um, a person at, at a church and that they were a leader at that church, and the person knew them outside of that, and they said, I would never go to a church where that man is in leadership. Isn't it amazing how God's word informs us 2,000 years later? Watch out for that. Watch out for that. I'm so grateful for that as a pastor. I'm so, our leadership is grateful for God's word to guide us. And we should be a leery, any of us should be leery of those snares of the devil that make us to think, you know, my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. No, there should be integrity. Integrity means if you cut straight through a person's life, what's on the outside is the same as what's on the inside. Or what's on this side of that is the same as what's on that side of it. It's so a question I asked when we began here. What kind of person would you choose to be a shepherd at harvest? What kind of person does God choose to be a shepherd at harvest? It's a person who's been shepherding well. A person that's shepherded those relationships with his neighbors well. A person who's shepherded their family well. Maybe they've carried a ministry area. Maybe they've carried a small group and done that well. A man who doesn't run away from the opportunity to be used by the Lord. 
You know, in ancient Greece, when a man went off to battle, it was understood that he could come back in three different ways. Okay? He could come back without his shield. That meant he dropped it and he ran. Or he could come back with his shield. That meant he fought well and he survived. Or he could come back on his shield. And that's how they would bring back their dead who had fought well. And they would find them with their shield. And Plutarch wrote that, that a mother would call out to her son when he was leaving for battle. She would say, son, come back with your shield or on it. Come back with your shield or on it. It means fight well. Whether you live or you die, fight well. But in the battle of what it means to follow Christ, in the battle of what it means to grow in these qualities, whether we are meant for leadership in Christ's body or not, is a battle against our flesh. It's a battle against our selfishness. It's a battle against wanting our own way. It's a battle in which we are intended to die. We should be dying to ourselves, as Scripture puts it, and living to Christ. And when it comes to the quality of someone who God would desire for leadership, it's a person who's come back on their shield again and again and again, and they've died over and over and over again. Maybe through some really breaking moments of their life. But they've consistently died to themselves. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the wisdom that you give. I thank you, Father, that even in these qualities that should be visible from the outside, that we're, remember, we're reminded that what you do should change us from the inside out from a pure heart and sincere faith and a good conscience. That's what you do in us, Father. I pray, Lord God, that you would always give us wisdom as we look always to be passing the mantle of leadership from one godly man to the next. Pray, Lord God, that as we are fathers and mothers in our homes, that we should see, would see ourselves as managers, stewards, of those gifts that you've given us, that you own. Pray, Father, that more than anything, you would grow us in these qualities, that we should improve so that we could great, more greatly enjoy a life of walking closely with you and walking by your Spirit. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.